Hi, CityCast listeners. We are in an awful drought, and it is putting a lot of pressure on Houston's water system, both because we're using more water and because the city's pipes are busting. Today, Drew Molly, who's in charge of the city of Houston system, explains what's going on, how our water system works, and the stuff that he worries about. It is Wednesday, July 20th, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. All right, Drew, thanks so much for talking to us. So I am walking around seeing tons of busted pipes in my neighborhood, and I know we're in a drought, and I remember what the drought of 2011 did to the city of Houston's water system. So should I be worried? What is the status right now of our pipes? You know, it's it's one of these things where we watch it every day. I worry about a lot of things every day. I mean, that that is something that just kind of goes with the job territory. And so, yes, um, you know, if you're a citizen, if you're a customer, um, it's concerning to see water uh, leaking on the ground, uh, going down the street. It's 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 wasteful. Uh, we don't like it. Um, and it's certainly something that we want people to report that. Uh, we want people to call 311 and we want people to let us know that there's there's a water leak. To your point, right now, we are definitely experiencing uh, more water line breaks. What ends up happening is, is when we're in a drought like we are right now, you tend to see uh, the ground moisture starts to uh, re- uh, get lower. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing these cracks in the ground. Absolutely. And yeah. Houston, uh, you know, has some challenges with uh, our subsurface soils. It tends to be clay. Uh, clay tends to move when it uh, either gets wet or it dries. And right now we're in that drying pattern. So the clay is contracting and the pipes that are inside the clay material move. And when they move to a degree, they break. And that's just the reality of where we live. Yeah. So are we above normal for June right now? So we're, we're above normal in a lot of respects for June in terms of just how our infrastructure is being impacted by this drought. So what's happening is, is this drought is uh, causing people to need to water uh, and irrigate uh, more. And we have a lot, a, a lot, fairly large percentage of our pumpage is related to irrigation. So people are watering their grass. And when they do that, you know, we start to see a great increase in pumpage. And so typically this time of the year, we normally average around 500, 515 uh, million gallons per day of water produced. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're much uh, higher than that. We're averaging, you know, 535, 540 million gallons per day. And, and we've actually gone above that. And so what ends up happening is we're, we're producing more water. As I mentioned earlier, you know, the ground is shifting. Uh, we normally see, uh, you know, this is going to sound a lot. Um, we, we normally mm-hmm. have around 100 to 150 water main breaks that are in our backlog, right? And that's that. Yeah. That's a lot. Okay, that, that's stuff that's been called in. You know, you got to go fix it. We know we got to go okay. fix it. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, and right now we're over four hundred uh, water main breaks backlog, which means mm-hmm. as of today, there are more than four hundred water main breaks uh, that we actively have to go fix. Yeah, this may just be the tip of the iceberg. But as we go into August, September, October, if the ground is not rewetted. We're going to still have problems, right? And they just keep building. Yeah, you know what? Hopefully, what ends up happening is is there's there's an equilibrium. I mean, the ground gets dry and it, it sort of reaches a, a plateau, and it's it's pretty hard to get much drier than dry. 
Um, and so it's kind of it's kind of kind of corny how that sounds, but yeah. you know Houston's a, a very wet subtropical climate, so we you know the ground is often very wet. And once we kind of get to a threshold, um, you know, we get dry. It's hard to get drier, and so you tend to start to see kind of those water main breaks kind of kind of plateau. And what's interesting is is on the flip side, when it starts to rain, and it will start to rain, we actually the ground starts to move again. So I hate to say it, we kind of go back through this this pattern where the ground starts to expand and we get get more water main breaks. So the concern that we have on our side is that while we're you know going through these breaks on the dry side, we're being prepared to deal with the breaks on the wet side. Oh, so you're getting it coming and going. <laughs> it, it is. It's not a very nice cycle. Typically, what we've seen is is you you go through one, you're going to come back through another. Yeah. So what are y'all doing to deal with it? How do you deal with more busted pipes? So we we tackle it in a couple ways. So first off, uh, one of the things that we do, and this is really important for us, yes, while we have what I would sometimes consider an, uh, a really high number of breaks in Houston. I mean, Houston has a pro- proportionately higher number of breaks than most utilities across the country for the reasons, you know, kind of mentioned. But what we what's really important to us is we get eyes on on, on the call-ins, right? So when a when a customer calls in, they create a service request. And our target is is to have eyes on that call-in within 24 hours, 95%, 95% or more. And we typically hit that. We didn't do it. The one time we didn't make it was during the winter storm uh, last year. <laughs> if you, yeah, When nothing was working, everybody was overwhelmed. We yeah, didn't meet yeah. those performance goals. Um, but that's, that's typically what we try to do. We almost always do it. And the reason it's so important is, is because we want to get somebody's eyes on it so they can categorize what kind of leak it is. If it's a leak that's causing damage to someone's property, if it's, you know, uh, something of a concern for life or health and safety, uh, we, we need to get uh, an immediate response. And, you know, the other thing, Lisa, that I would tell you is, is um, we recognizing that we are struggling a little bit in terms of these high number of repairs. So in fact, we're basically doubling our contract staff as we speak. So starting this week and next week, um, our expectation is, is that we will be driving these repairs down lower. And we are going to keep these contractors on, on hand until we're through this event. And to make sure, as I mentioned earlier, if we have the rebound when it rains, we're going to have them there to help us. Right. So you were here in 2011, that last really big drought that we had. And I think they had something like 11,000 breaks from that drought. I guess the drought and the recovery. How does this compare to that? Yeah. So it it, it doesn't, this drought does not compare to that, um, at least not yet. And I sure hope it doesn't ever compare to it. You know, in 2011, our surface water supplies were were much greater, uh, much more impacted. Um, so if you think about it, 80% of our water comes from surface water sources, lakes and rivers. Okay. And in 2011, some of those supplies started to really dwindle. The one that was most interesting to me was Lake Houston. Uh, Lake Houston is our smallest surface water source, and it, ha- it tends to have a really good um, uh, reclamation. So the, the water that falls in and around its watershed really does a very nice job intending to fill the lake up. And Lake Houston um, got actually pretty low, uh, low enough to where we were actually worried that our treatment plant on Lake Houston wouldn't have enough water to treat water. And so we actually did something that was quite historic. We have water rates on Lake Conroe. 
we called uh, SJRA, San Jacinto River Authority, and we told them, because we have water rights there, we, we told them we needed the water. And it wasn't something that really made us very popular with Lake Conroe folks that have lake houses. Their lake that was already low is going to get lower, but that water was desperately needed to Houston. Houston has planned for the future. Uh, Houston tries to be a resilient water system, and, and that's part of the resiliency equation. And so we called on our water rights from Conroe, and it helped uh, helped us immensely. And so we've got some of those tools, Lisa, in the toolkit that we'll use if we need them. Yeah. We lose pressure when we lose electricity, for instance. So are you worrying about the grid this summer, since it's your job to worry? I do worry about it. I do. Um, but I will tell you, the winter storm last year was a tough one um, because that winter storm, not only did we lose power, but we had a tremendous amount of water main breaks. So you could put a summer drought with a power issue, which was the winter storm. That doesn't sound right. It's like an oxymoron. Why would you describe it as a drought <laughs> with a winter storm? Well, the way right. the lines broke and the number of them that we had so that created a huge demand, a water demand, and then complicated with the fact that there was some, some electrical issues that really put our system under stress. Now this year, why is it a little bit different for us? Well, I will tell you that all of our surface water treatment plants, which provides about 80% of our drinking water, all of those plants have backup power. It won't provide the full amount of supply capacity to the system, but it's a large amount. So we do have that, and we have backup power at our groundwater facilities and our repump stations. One thing I didn't explain uh, to you, Lisa, and your listeners is, is that Houston is an interesting water system. We, we get 80% of our water supply from surface water sources, like the lakes, like the rivers, and it's all on the east side of Houston. And so that water is treated, and it's conveyed clear across the 660 square miles of Houston. And how we do that is we have repump stations that help us do that. And then we have groundwater facilities that help augment some of that need for additional supply. Yeah. So in other cities, basically, you can rely on the water to flow downhill going, yeah. you know, toward the ocean. But here it's we are pushing it uphill slightly, ever so slightly. Yeah. yeah. Our, our topography doesn't help us out a whole lot. We're flat and we're hot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> water quality doesn't particularly like flat and hot. Right. And And so... You know, water tends to age uh, when it right. sits in pipes and when it sits in pipes with this heat, some of the disinfectant, you know, we use a chloramine disinfectant um, and that chloramine can degrade. And if, if that happens, you know, we start to have some water quality challenges. So we've heard a lot nationally about aging infrastructure. How is Houston doing compared to other cities with, say, the age of its pipes and the quality of its water system? I, I would say we fare pretty well compared to other systems around the country. When you compare ourselves, let's say, to the East Coast, I mean, we're a relatively newer city. Uh, so therefore, we have newer pipes. We don't have pipes that were laid in the 1800s. Correct. Is Houston in any danger of running out of water? I, I hadn't really thought about it until we started talking, but you were talking about the emergency contracts. I would tell you that no, we're not in any danger of running out of water. Um, let me tell you why. So one of the things that I think is really fascinating, I tend to be a history guy, and so I, I read a lot. And there were some people that were really smart back in the 30s and 40s. Houston was small relative to other Texas cities. But I will tell you, the 30s, there were some floods that were pretty significant. And in fact, uh, floods that were so significant that the part of town that I live in, which is over in the energy corridor around Dairy Ashford and Memorial area, 
we have Attics and Barker Reservoirs. Those reservoirs were built in the 40s, uh, actually the late 40s. They were going to do it before, but World War II got in the way. And those reservoirs were built to try to mitigate flooding. And then you had the 1950s where you had the drought, pretty serious drought. And what ended up happening across Texas was a lot of reservoirs were built. And there were a lot of people in, in the Houston area, uh, not a lot of people, but some very smart people that built reservoirs and really tried to secure water rights. So we've got a lot of water rights on the Trinity River. Uh, we've got water rights on the San Jacinto River. Um, we've got access to water rights on the Brazos River. And so these are all places that Houston is well positioned for many years in the future to have water. And then we've got groundwater. Now, you know, yeah. Houston's sinking. You know, we've had subsidence uh, yeah. challenges. No, I, I drive around looking at, you know, fire hydrants that stick up two feet from their base. That's subsidence, right? That's subsidence. And, uh, yeah. you know, that that's something that we are also working on. We've got regulatory mandates to reduce our groundwater dependency. And while groundwater is probably never going to completely go away, uh, we need to be smart about it. And so we need to make sure we meet those regulatory requirements to minimize our groundwater use. So that we're not sucking water out of the ground and having the land sink because of that. Correct. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So Houston is looking at, at how we can better develop our water supply portfolio. Mm -hmm. You know, other parts of Texas that get far less rain than us, you know, there's there's a desal uh, consideration down in Corpus Christi right so now. So desalination, get, taking the salt out of seawater. Correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's something, you know, three hours south of us, they're talking about that. Very, very real possibility. You know, you go out to El Paso, they get 10 inches of rain a year. They use uh, direct potable reuse. So they take wastewater effluent and they treat it to drinking water standards and they, they sell that water. So these are the kind of things we're not there, but this is what Houston's thinking about. Right. To handle growth and all the other stuff we're looking at with global warming. You bet. Absolutely. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Drew. This has been really interesting. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me, Lisa. It's always a pleasure to talk to folks who are interested in what we do every day. And it's really been a joy to give you a little bit more information about uh, what we do and why we're here. That was Drew Molly. Now I am here with roving producer Carlyone Jones. Carly, what else is going on around Houston? Hey, Lisa. According to a study conducted by CNBC, Texas is no longer the best state in the country to do business in. The state finished fifth in the 2020 edition of the study, which factored in poor quality of life as a major reason Texas is slipping from the top spot. CNBC found that companies have been less attracted to the state due to social factors and lifestyle. And speaking of quality of life, we're still in the midst of this record-breaking heat wave that's been so bad that experts are telling Houstonians to stay inside as much as they can. But for many construction workers in Houston, that isn't possible. And U.S. Representative Sylvia Garcia is trying to bring that to Congress's attention by filing a bill that will require mandatory paid work breaks on construction sites in an effort to protect workers from extreme heat. Some Texas cities like Austin and Dallas have already mandated periodic rest breaks for workers. Hopefully, Houston is next. That is it for today on CityCast Houston. We are working on a reader call-in show about ways to stay cool this summer. If you've got a good idea, something that you're doing that makes you happy, please call and say it for our show. Call our voicemail, 713-489-6972. Tell us who you are and what you're doing to stay cool. We will be back tomorrow. Talk with you then.
it's not it's not even perfectionism. It's just like trying not to be awful because I can be. Oh my god. 